Welcome to Ask Dr. Change. I'm Dr. Linda Ackerman Anderson. I'm happy to have you join me today to explore how to seriously uplevel your leadership and consulting to transformational changes, all through conscious change leadership. Welcome to today's episode, where today we're talking about the Change Leaders Roadmap Process Model for leading projects from launch all the way through sustained business benefits. What's important about the Change Leaders Roadmap is that it's a process model. I would have you think about as we go through today's work, what kind of process you are leading in your projects. Your model may not be a process at all, but what's important to know is that the Change Leaders Roadmap is a process driving the process of change. It's not an event. It takes us from where we are today to where we need to go. I'm going to go over the nine phases of the Change Leaders Roadmap, but first I'd like to introduce you to a conceptual model that helps lay the groundwork for our leaders and our teams to understand the process that we're going through. That's the full stream transformation model. What I would encourage you to do is to think about how you go about leading change. As a leader, what your team may be orchestrating, as a change consultant, what you may be advising your teams or your clients to do. So think about your approach. I'll be asking you a little bit about that as we proceed. I'd like to set context first, though, with a very high-level model we call the full-stream transformation model. This has three stages to it. The first is what we call upstream stage, setting the foundations for success. I will share with you that this stage upstream is the most avoided, ignored, missed stage in most of the change models today and in most of the launches of change projects. It's incredibly helpful and essential to set your projects up for success from the moment they're thought about all the way through getting them off and rolling. So upstream change is leadership work to set the foundations for success. Then we move into midstream change, which is the design piece. Now, most project management orientations jump into midstream from the very beginning because they're tasked with coming up with the right solution. That occurs in midstream. And when upstream is done well, midstream happens very in a very streamlined way. And so we design the solution that we're after and then downstream is to implement it. And so much of change management is focused on implementation, getting people over their resistance, getting them to adopt the change. Altogether, upstream, midstream, and downstream, we call the full stream transformation model. Now, at this point, this is a useful model for leaders to understand how important their work is to set the change up for success in upstream Because many leaders launch a change with setting up a project team and telling them to come up with the best solution, missing most of what occurs in upstream. Now, how does this relate to the nine-phase change leaders roadmap? Well, as you can see, the overlay here, upstream is phases one, two, three. Midstream is phases four, five, six. 
Downstream is 789. So it fits perfectly as we guide the work through upstream to midstream to downstream, launch to full adoption. So let me go over the structure of the Change Leaders Roadmap just so you can understand how it's organized. There are nine phases, as I've said and shown. Each of those phases is uh, broken out into activities, large chunks of work that need to be done within that phase. Each activity is broken out into tasks, and every task has at least one deliverable, so you can know whether or not you're succeeding at that task, contributing to the activity, and fulfilling the requirements of the phase. Now, for those of you interested in learning more about the roadmap, our methodology goes into much greater depth. So for every task, there are outlined work steps, logical, sequential work steps to help design the work of that task and fulfill its requirements. There are questions. There is an outline of potential problems if one skips a task information sheets, lots of tools. We love tools in this work and some articles to help explain the importance of the work. A lot of the activities, tasks, and task deliverables are outlined in our book, The Change Leaders Roadmap, How to Navigate Your Organization's Transformation. So for those of you wanting more information, you can acquire the book and learn about the phases, activities, tasks, and the individual task deliverables and some tools, a good deal of tools in that. For those of you interested in learning more about the resources of the full methodology, we have a certification program that you can look into on our website. Now, the Change Leaders Roadmap. I'm going to go over this piece by piece, phase by phase, activity by activity, to listen to this to be most important and most useful to you, what I would suggest is that you think about how you actually lead change today. Where does your work fit? What happens before your work? What happens after your work? And find where you live inside of the Change Leaders Roadmap. Because my intent here is to help you expand your approach, take on the roadmap's recommendations, and look how to set up work earlier than you typically do, during what you currently do, and after what you currently do, so that you can actually influence using this guidance system from launch all the way through achievement of desired results. So let me begin with the hear the wake up call. If you see the initial starburst, hear the wake up call. So think about this. Who actually got the information or the insight to actually begin your project or know that a change was needed in the organization? And so hearing the wake up call is getting information, getting an alert, getting an alarm. It may be any number of things. Maybe it's new technology. Maybe it's competition. Maybe it's a change in the social system outside the organization or in the communities that you serve. Somehow, a, an indication of a need for change is observed and recognized and needs to be taken seriously. Sometimes, 
Leaders will hear indications for a wake-up call many, many times and press the snooze button rather than take it on until sometimes it becomes an emergency. So hearing the wake-up call in an alert, conscious way is important to be able to take in information that doesn't fit your current reality, but may be an alarm for you to say, ah, something needs to be different. I start with hearing the wake-up call because that's the moment of insight, of intuition. When leaders say, wow, something needs to be different, or wow, if we could only do it this way, if we could only serve our customers in this way or operate in this way, that's important information when we ultimately get to designing the solution. From there, we move to phase one, which is preparing to lead the change. This is leadership work. This is important work for leaders to engage in as they launch their projects. The whole orientation of this is applied to projects. So where are your leaders in the initiation of your projects? Consider these activities. Clearly, we need to start up and we need to staff the effort. So startup has a lot to do with getting a briefing. What's already gone on? Where are we currently at? What have we tried before? What implications are they? What have we learned from past history? And are we aligned with what we think we need in terms of starting up a project? So there's work to be done in startup. Staffing is who's going to do this work, who's on the project team, who's on the change leadership team, who may be your consultants. There are a whole series of change leadership roles to staff. One of the things that we want to make sure of in using the change leaders roadmap is that you take a conscious approach and one that balances both your content expertise with your people expertise And so staffing needs to accommodate both your SMEs, your subject matter experts, and people who are attentive to the human dynamics, the politics, especially the culture in the organization. So hopefully your project team has all of that, as well as your ability to design the process. The next activity in phase one is to determine initial desired outcomes and then case for change. So initial desired outcomes, what do you want to achieve with this? What outcome are you after? What's the vision of the ideal result you want to create in the organization? From getting that picture of desired outcomes, note that it's not the design of your solution yet. It's really creating a compelling picture of what you hope to accomplish. It really is the source of a compelling story that can be told when you announce the change. And then case for change, if that's what we want to accomplish, then why do we need to do it? What are we after? What's the opportunity? And more likely, more easily accessible is what's the threat or risk if we don't? So what's the case for change? I want to notate that case for change in the Change Leaders Roadmap is different than your business case. Most projects will have a business case, which typically is the numbers. This is what we want to produce financially out of this. This is what it will cost us. Is it worth it? All very essential. But that's not your case for making the change. 
the case for making the change is about communicating to the stakeholders and to the organization why this is necessary. What's at stake here? What do we hope to accomplish? I like to put a positive spin on case for change in terms of orienting people to what's possible, to what we can co-create together. And then, of course, fueled by, and if we don't, there may be a threat or a risk to the organization. Case for Change also helps outline what's driving the organization to make this change, what's driving the change itself, what type of change it is. If it's transformational, you'll be using more of the roadmap than if it's transitional or developmental. So Case for Change is an important piece of work for leaders to do. Now, both with desired outcomes and case for change, as well as some of the other work I'll be sharing momentarily, this is important for leaders to think through. It's one thing for consultants to prepare this stuff and present it to a leadership team to get their head nod. But a head nod is not commitment. It's not understanding. And so how do we get leaders to really think through the questions of why are we doing this? And how do we go about proceeding? And so think about how much interaction you have with your leaders, your sponsor, your executive team. If a change leadership team is stood up, how you interact with them to get this work done so they own it. That's what's important here. The next activity in phase one is assessing and building the organization's readiness and capacity. So we all know readiness is important because some organizations have taken on too much change or they are threatened by what's happening in their marketplace or their environment. So we need to assess and build readiness. Capacity is an even larger issue. In all of the research that we've done or assessments that we've done with our clients over decades, capacity is the number one weak link in the chain. Because most leaders say we have to make this change and do this on top of your normal operating workload. That doesn't work. It's the source of burnout. It's the source of poor conditions for getting the actual change work done. Because in most organizations, what gets rewarded doing your operational job, not doing change work on top of it. So uh, ensuring that you have adequate capacity and making space for the change is essential in this activity. Then we move to building leaders' ability to actually lead the change. So we've identified a change team. Do they have the change knowledge and skills to lead this? Are they introduced to the change leaders roadmap and know the guidance system beyond classic traditional project management or change management models? Are they really informed about starting up, staffing, outcomes, case for change, etc.? So we're building the project teams and the leaders, the sponsors, ability to understand the roadmap they're guiding the organization through. We also want to make sure that the leaders themselves understand there are mindset issues, behavioral issues, cultural issues. That's not a bolt on. That's not a nice to have. That's not something that comes later. Right from the beginning, leaders need to understand the expectations that this project is requiring of them as well as stakeholders around the human dynamics of mindset, behavior, 
and cultural norms. So from there, we do what we call creating an overall change strategy. This is not your tactical plan. So many leaders using a classic project management approach will say, give me the plan. Well, that completely sidesteps the creation of an overall change strategy. So what is a change strategy? It's identification. Again, leadership work to do. How are we going to govern this change? How are we going to make decisions within the change? How are we going to balance this work against the operational priorities the organization has going on? What are our sub-projects? What's the scope of this effort and the sub-projects for each of the major initiatives? How do we organize all of that? How are we going to communicate? How are we going to engage? And when we have multiple projects going on or portfolios or work streams of change, how are we going to integrate so that the resources are used best across all of them? Or we can piggyback work so we can accelerate things. How are we going to ensure adequate resources? And what's the best guesstimate of timetable? You can imagine from what I'm describing, there are a whole series, in fact, 12 tasks in create in this activity, creating your overall change strategy. So what's important here is that you work with leaders to get the change efforts set up for success by answering these strategic questions. Then they can give that guidance to their project team to proceed with the work of the project. Lastly, in phase one is building infrastructure and conditions to support the success of the project. This is really important. Again, a whole series of tasks here. How are we going to create conditions for success? How about handling course correction? In transformational change, course correction is the name of the game. Rapid course correction. So how do we establish that? How are we going to create metrics? How are we going to support people to go through the change effectively? There are a raft of tasks and infrastructure and conditions to support the the project that we identify and then implement at the appropriate time. Now, look at this. All of these, the six activities of phase one, we're just in phase one. This, by the way, is 50 to 60% of the decisions that get made about the change that will lead it to, from launch to sustain business benefits most successfully. This is a lot of work. What I would ask you to do is how much of this work gets done in the projects that you serve, in the projects that you lead, and what's at risk of not doing some of this work. And so, again, because this is leadership work, we're guiding leaders as, as either a leader or a consultant to do what's most important in phase one to set the effort up for success. So you would pick and choose out of all of this what's essential given the realities of the project that you're working on against the realities of the organization in which it's happening. So phase one, prepare to lead the change, leadership work. Now, phase two, communicate to build commitment in the project community. So we're taking the project out to the organization with very clear intentions here. We want to communicate desired outcomes. We want to communicate the scope. We want to communicate the case for change and the change strategy. 
Now, to the project community, what's the project community? It's actually something identified in phase one, where you're looking at who are all of your stakeholders, influencers, people who want to have a say or have a stake in the change effort. It's more than a stakeholder map. Change management uses a stakeholder map, which is about your stakeholders, the people who have to make the change on the front line. The project community is actually larger than that. And we've chosen that title because for community's sake, we want everybody in the project community to realize that collectively, they're all a part of making the change a success. So we're communicating hopefully communicating in ways that the stakeholders and the rest of the project community experience the importance, find the outcome compelling, and figure out how they begin to fit into what's about to uh, unroll in the organization as the project continues. So communicating. And here the activity is building the community's understanding and commitment to desired outcomes, case for change, and change strategy. So I want to talk a moment about commitment because that's important. Any of the impacted leaders in the organization, they need to understand probably in greater depth than anyone else aside from your stakeholders, what's really at stake here what part they will play in the execution of this effort. So it's not a blanket communication. It needs to be tailored so that the impacted leaders in the organization truly understand what's afloat here, what's happening here, and what part they will play in it. And then are they committed and aligned to it? Are they really seeing they have a role to play in making it successful? That's important as a conclusion of phase two. Phase three brings us to assessment. Every change model has an assessment piece. This is unique. This is assess your situation to determine design requirements. This is a unique piece of the change leaders roadmap. So what are we assessing here? We're assessing based upon the desired outcomes and vision of the change that we've outlined in earlier phases. We're assessing the organization for what do we already have in place that supports this outcome that we want to keep? What do we have in place that's directly blocking us achieving this outcome that we are going to have to dismantle? And then what do we need in the organization that we've never done before? That too is a part of assessment. From all of that, we're figuring out, okay, design requirements. These are the criteria that the solution needs to meet in order to be successful, given the needs in the organization. A part of our assessment might also be going out and studying best practices from other organizations that have made these kinds of changes. So we, a lot of organizations do this, send out a team of people to other organizations to learn from them what they learned, what they did, what worked and what didn't work. So best practices from other organizations may help inform design requirements. And then of real critical importance here is finding out from our customers or our end users, what do they need in order to achieve this outcome? So you're getting feedback from the actual stakeholders who have to make this 
live in the organization or who will be affected by it when it's in place. They will have a lot to say about design requirements. And so we're coming up with a roster of criteria, factors, conditions that the solution, the design of the desired state needs to actually achieve. So assessing the situation to determine design requirements, really critical in your process. Then we take those design requirements into phase four, design the desired state. And so what we're doing here first is figuring out what's the process and structure to get the best design. Are we using an external consultant? Are we doing this just internally? Who are our content experts? We need to ensure are a part of the design phase. Are we going to pilot test what we come up with? How are we going to make decisions about the best solution, the preferred solution? And how are we going to use our design requirements, really important here, to shape the best solution? When we have clear design requirements, I will mention to you that it helps reduce the political shenanigans of I want option A, no, I want option B. If it is uh, the various options are compared against the design requirements, there's fewer questions and fewer battles because if we're fulfilling the requirements, the factors that have been laid out as requirements for success, a solution, a scenario will emerge. So let's assume we create a preferred solution, we get it approved, and it is uh, agreed to that this is actually what's going to give us the desired outcomes and the vision of the change we created in earlier phases. So we take that solution, this is critical, into the next phase, analyze the impact. This is a very important piece of the change leaders roadmap. So analyzing the impact, there are two major kinds of impacts we're looking at here. This is like a, a, a significant gap analysis, old state versus preferred new state. What's the difference? What's the magnitude of change required? And what's it going to take to move to dismantle the old state or the current state and put in place the new state? So in the impacts that we're assessing here are first and foremost, the formal organizational impacts. And so what about the structure? What about business processes? What about roles? What about information? How about technology? What anything about the current organization that is going to be disrupted, changed, expanded, altered in some way? What questions do we have? What haven't we figured out yet? How big a change is going to be required? Those are all essential questions to ask around all the formal elements. Now, recall, this is a conscious approach to change. How do we handle all the human elements? So there is a whole series of impacts to look at around impact on people. So are people going to like it? Are they not going to like it? Do they have the skills? What are the cultural norms that are going to be disrupted and need to be changed? Are people going to be now in new teams? And, and in what way are we going to need more people or less people? All of the human dynamics, the cultural dynamics, the mindset dynamics and behavioral dynamics need to be looked at as we compare dismantling the old state and putting in place the new state. 
So analyzing the impact. We automatically will come up with lots of changes here, lots of impacts, lots of questions that will need resolution. We cluster them, we group them, we integrate them as much as possible because this is going to be the food for coming up with our implementation plan. So we've analyzed the impacts of the desired state on the existing state. And that brings us to the next phase, using that information to plan and organize for actual implementation and deployment. So what occurs in this phase, phase five and six, analyze the impact and plan and organize, go hand in hand. A lot of this work is done as a very tightly orchestrated sequence of activities. We take all those issues and questions we came up with in analyzing the impact, and we figure out, one, how to assign them to leaders who can figure out solutions, and then we come up with actions required to handle those questions or handle those needs to close the gaps. So a whole raft of actions are created. We integrate as much as possible because we want to streamline implementation. So what can be done collectively or piggyback, we do. And so this is important Managing the chaos of the change occurs here. How do we organize this so it can actually be mapped on an implementation master plan where we're incorporating both the content impacts and the actions required to resolve those as well as the human and cultural impacts and the actions required to take care of those issues as well. And from that, when we see the roster of work required, all those actions, only then can we figure out how long this is going to take. Up until now in your change strategy, all you've done is a good guesstimate of the timeline. This is where reality hits the road, so to speak. And you can figure out how long is this actually going to take us? What's our pacing strategy for getting this done? All at once, in steps, in sequence, perhaps incrementally, how are we going to actually get this rolled out? We help the organization to prepare to um, receive the change with training, with communications, with conditions for success, and the infrastructures we identified in phase one, if they haven't already been put into place, we put them into place here to support the organization to take on the implementation master plan. Then we implement. And so moving from designing the desired state to implementation immediately and sidestepping, analyze the impact and planning and organizing does not work. And that's a lot of what creates so much chaos in organizations because all of those issues and questions that we didn't pay attention to if we didn't do analyze the impact and plan and organize, they'll show up anyway. So in implementation, we're rolling out the implementation master plan. Now, how often does a plan work as planned? <laughs> Rarely. And so we implement, we communicate, and we are constantly monitoring both the change process and the change 
outcome, the design of the desired state. So an enormous amount of monitoring takes place here. Are we doing things in the right order? Are we giving enough time? Do we have the resources? Do we have the capacity? This is where learning and course correction is in full color here. And so we're monitoring the process. We're also monitoring what we're learning out of the solution Is this the right solution? Did we see something that now that we didn't see before? And so there may be course corrections to the solution itself. That leads us, assume we have succeeded in implementing our desired state. It's now the new state. And so a couple of things happen here. Again, this is rarely done in any change model, but it's an essential piece to getting adoption to occur. This is all about adoption. So first up, we want to celebrate and reward the achievement of the desired state. It's now a new reality in the organization. We want to honor the work that's been done. We want to reward the efforts that have been made. We want to actually give people a moment of celebration that they've done what they set out to do in the best possible way. Now, even more important is supporting integration and mastery of the new state. So this is actually an essential piece of adoption. This is a huge part of adoption. This happens in two ways. Individuals and intact teams look at how they're operating in the new state. Is it working as planned? Should something else be done? Did we miss something that we need to do? How best to set ourselves up for success? This is an opportunity for individuals and teams to get grounded in the new reality, to take hold of it and feel some sense of mastery and success. Is more training needed? Is more communication needed? How do we actually get them to own the new reality that we've asked them now to step into? So individuals and intact teams is one piece of this. The other piece of this is the whole organization. If we've done something in our project that affects the whole organization, especially if it's a larger transformation, then we need to support the whole organization to see its new reality collectively. When I led the Sun Petroleum Products Company transformation, this was a critical piece that we co-created at that time. We had a special meeting of all management throughout the organization, and we asked them to come with the picture of what they were contributing to the new reality in the organization, what information they needed from others, and what value they gave to other functions in the organization. So everyone was looking not just at what they did, but what was important to set them up for success and how they supported others. They also got input from their new organizations about that, which was also helping to ground the new reality. Then we brought them together and everybody talked about their new piece of the puzzle. And collectively, we created a whole new puzzle picture of the new reality and everybody contributed their puzzle piece, what they offered and what they received and what contribution they made to the new whole. It was an extraordinarily powerful Uh, experience. And we actually then realized, oh, there are still pieces that needed course correction, that design needed refinement, all very appropriate work to do. It 
really grounded and enabled the integration and mastery of the new reality we created in that organization. That then leads us to learning and course correcting. Now, we've been doing this all the way through the process, but to conclude any major project's process, its path, we do a couple of things here to close it out effectively and cleanly. First up, build a system to continuously evolve the new state. We know things will, new things will be discovered and new ways of doing things will be introduced. So what's our system for continuous improvement? We acknowledge it, we put it in place, we communicate it, and we use it. In addition, we are hoping, since we're always about improving change leadership capability in the organization, that there is some kind of a review of what we did, what worked, and what didn't work. And so learning from the change process that we used to lead this project and from it, identifying best practices that other projects can use, can benefit from, because those things, those tasks actually went really well. So best practices. Hopefully there's a place to, to log your best practices and communicate them. Maybe you have a center of excellence for change leadership. That would be a place to house your best practices. And then lastly, if we put in place temporary change infrastructures, structures, business policies, uh, different ways of doing things, processes that were just in place to expedite the work of the project. Then we uh, take a look at them to say, do we need them any longer? If no, then we dismantle them. Sometimes those temporary structures or policies have been really useful in the organization. And so we actually formalize them and keep some of them in place. But this phase, phase nine, learning and course correcting, dismantling what we've done as needed is a way of cleaning up and ending the process. And then dot, 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 we return again to the uh, new changes that may be in place. Now, I've described all of this in very logical sequential format because I wanted to go through one through nine. However, in reality, you may be in two, three, four phases simultaneously. And you may get to one phase, say, analyze the impact, and you discover, uh-uh, our design of the desired state is not going to work. You go back even to design requirements and redo so the roadmap is iterative, it's recursive, you're cycling back as many times as you need to if you're consciously managing and guiding the process rather than letting chaos rule you. So it's a roadmap, it's a guidance system. Now, do you need to do all of this? This is a huge amount of work. There are many, many, many tasks here, many activities. How much of this do you have to do? Please hear this. It is not a cookbook. You do not start at one and end at nine as if you are lockstep going all the way through. What's important here is that you learn enough about the roadmap to know how little of it to do and still be successful. That's our intent. 
So you're, you'd be going through the activities and the tasks when you're creating your change strategy and your change plan and determining, is this needed in our particular project? If not, know what might be missing and proceed to choose only those tasks, the high leverage tasks that you need to do to get design and get through your process successfully to achieve desired outcomes and sustain them. So again, it's a guidance system. It's a thinking discipline. It's a massively helpful tool with so many resources underneath it to help inform you about your best process for your projects. Now, I've mentioned that I will offer you a pro tip. Aside from the entire Change Leaders Roadmap being a pro tip, (laughs) I would ask you to think about how much of your approach to change can you, one, document into some kind of a model, and two, is it a process? Change is a process. Is your approach to change a sequential, action-driven process? The contrast with this is many change models we know today are frameworks. They don't describe process going from A to B to C to D. They're important pieces of work that need to be done, like the 7S model or the Cotter model is a hybrid. It's got a little process and a bunch of framework in it. And so how do you actually embed in the organization the notion that change is a process and needs to be led from the very beginning to the very end of the change effort? And is your approach to change a process? If not, how could it be? And again, I suggest that you listen to this description and find out where your work fits and what happens before you and what happens after you. Now, I've also offered to you a personal reflection. So today's personal reflection is about how you may want to up your game. Is it possible to use the information from this episode to help expand what you currently do? If you were to identify, wow, if I could do this, I would really want to be able to do that. I can see myself doing that. But if there's a but in your thinking, what stands in your way? How would you really inhibit yourself from from proceeding or imagining success in how you want to up your game? Give that some thought how you would like to up up your game, how you would actually imagine being successful in doing that. And then if anything stands in your way, being able to embrace, acknowledge, and realize that that's there and is not locked in stone, there's always something that you can do to move in the direction that you aspire. So thanks for listening today. We've covered a lot. Uh, The Change Leaders Roadmap is the foundation for so much of what we'll be covering in this podcast. So I hope you take it to heart, learn from it significantly. And if you're interested in more information about it, both the book, the Change Leaders Roadmap or certification program might be of interest. Thanks for today. Many of the topics featured in this podcast come directly from the Change Leaders Roadmap methodology, 
our world-class project guidance system for achieving sustained benefits from any type of initiative you may be leading. For those of you interested in certification, we're happy to announce we're going to be offering a Change Leaders Roadmap Certification Program. Prerequisite to that program is Leading Transformational Change, our online runway into conscious change leadership. For those of you interested in learning more about the certification program, please go to beingfirst.com forward slash CLRM. I hope you'll look into it. Thanks for spending some time with me today. I hope you gained some valuable insights for your work. Please send me your questions and challenges by going to askdrchange.com. 